Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello, I'm Melissa Anderson, and thanks for joining us on another edition of Reach for Hope. You know, we've talked a lot about how to cope with anxieties and ways to deal with our own depression when it comes to suicidal thoughts. But what happens when we can't seem to get control of those feelings? With us today is Heather Frank. She's a nurse manager at, at Inpatient Behavioral Health. I can't even say that right. At Intermountain Healthcare and a specialist here in St. George. Welcome, Heather, and thanks for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, you know, first of all, tell us a little bit about your position, what uh, what you do, and, and how you you help people. So I'm the nurse manager of the inpatient behavioral health unit over at St. George Regional Hospital. So we have an 18 bed adult unit where we can help stabilize patients who are in acute mental health crisis. Um, And we also have an access center where we can help triage those patients as well. Right. So I I mentioned earlier that um, sometimes we need to take action and and get help um, with our thoughts, especially you know, when when they're ongoing, when they continue for a long period of time, there are many agencies here in the area that help out with that, you know, and St. George Regional uh, Hospital is one of those here in Intermountain. Um, there is an intervention list up I would like to show up on the board that shows a little bit of, uh, more about that. Um, tell us when it's time to head to the emergency room. We've got several places here that people can reach out to. Uh, as you can see, the Washington County School District, primary care providers, um, even here at Dixie State University on campus, we have a wellness, health and wellness center. Um, but there's all sorts of places to reach out. But when they get to the point of where you talked about earlier at crisis mode, when is that time to reach out and say, OK, now I got to get to the emergency room or even their loved ones point them to that? Yeah, so when you feel like you're in danger to yourself or to others or that your symptoms are just affecting your everyday life, that's the time to come and get some help at the hospital. Right. And sometimes, you know, it might get to that point to where you don't know that you've reached that level. Um, But there are those that can help you find where that level is. Now, um, tell us about this access center that you were talking about and where it's located. So the access center is located within the hospital. So you go into the mother and baby interest entrance of the hospital right there and go to the fourth floor and we have a lobby there in that lobby you can just there's usually someone sitting there but otherwise you just push the call box box and somebody will come out and help you um you don't need a referral it's 24 7 just walk in um anytime you're in doubt if you feel or if you feel like a family member needs some help you can come there and assessed. So is that accessible uh, 24 hours a day? They don't have to go through the emergency room to get that. They can go to this entrance to get in there and they can get help right away. Yes, absolutely. That's that's awesome. That's not been up and up for very long. Tell us how long that's been there. I believe it's been open for about three years. Three years. Yeah. Okay. So that's where people need to go. Now, can people just go in and admit themselves or do they have to have a loved one there or, you know, that type of thing? They can, anyone can walk in at any time and be assessed to see if they need to be admitted or just if they need some resources. So at any time they can walk in. And it does look like a pretty friendly atmosphere. We do have a picture of um, this, of the Behavioral Health Center. Um, you Do you need insurance then or can you just walk in? You can just walk in. 
So we do have, um, we accept insurance and then we do have um, financial programs as well if you might have financial stresses so we can set up payment plans as well. But anyone can walk in regardless of financial status. That should never be in someone's mind when they're going, oh, I can't afford to pay for this. How how am I going to get help? You should always think about the help first, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, So what does the Access Center do then for patients? So the Access Center provides a safe and therapeutic environment for patients to have a mental health crisis. So we can, some patients who come in just need some resources. They need to find out where to go, what to do. Um, Other people need to be evaluated by um, behavioral health specialists. So we can do that as well. We can help those um, get follow-up medications. We can provide medications while they're in the Access Center. And then if they need more stabilization, then we can get them admitted to an inpatient unit as well. Right. So how long could they stay there then? So it's depending on the situation. So if they just need resources, they might be with us for under an hour. If they need to create a plan with a crisis worker or um, have some medications and see how that works, they could be there two to three hours. If they need to be admitted, then they'll stay with us until they're admitted. Right. Describe what they're going to see when they come into a a patient's room. Mm -hmm. This is obviously a crisis center. So there's, it's probably going to be a little bit kind of, um, not a lot in there, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The decor looks a little bit different than other places. Um, The access center is really an open space. So we have recliners um, and just a place where you can relax. It's not um, a really stimulating environment. It's a place where we can be away from all of those things that might be causing issues. And then we can really just focus on the crisis at hand. So no cell phones, no TV, no uh, video games, nothing to divert your attention uh, even for a moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have um, workers there that can help with either meditations or coping exercises. We do have a radio and we have a small TV if that a patient was going to be there for an extended period of time. But for the most part, no, it's a low stimulus environment. And so it's probably a pretty dark room as well. Um, and and then how often does someone come in or knock on your door or come in and talk to you or say, hey, are you awake? Are you, right. how you doing? You need a drink of water? What? So in the access center, patients are um, observed all the time. So it can be dark, it can be light, just based on whatever the needs are. And then staff are always right there. Well, I've heard firsthand from uh, an account of a person who stayed there and she said it was wonderful. She said she got the most sleep and the best, best uh, time out in her life. And she was there about two to three days. Okay. So uh, I want to commend you for that because it it is making a difference in people's lives. And when you need to, you know, take that time to zone out and just get away from it all when it's just too much. And that's what I want to talk about. Tell us when it's time, when it's too much, Um, you know, people get depressed And oftentimes we don't know what to do when we hit that mark that's just way above us. Right. The goal is always to make sure that we're seeking help as soon as possible. So that's the goal of the Access Center is that when you don't know, you can come into the Access Center and then we can decide. And if you need admission, then we can admit to the inpatient unit. The inpatient unit looks a little bit different than the Access Center. It's the same um, low stimulus environment, more structured with um, daily group therapy, meeting with a therapist and the psychiatrist as well. Yeah. We're talking about a safe place. Absolutely. Now, can can family members admit people to this too? 
So that depends. So if you feel that a family member is in danger, then they can come to the emergency department or the access center, and then they'll get an evaluation. Based on that evaluation, then they can make a decision to be admitted. Right. So they kind of pretty much have to admit themselves in a way, right? Yes, unless they are in acute danger to themselves or to others. So a lot of times we get phone calls from people as well of, well, this is going on. What am I supposed to do with my family member? They refuse to come in. That's where we utilize our community partners with the police officers who can come in and kind of evaluate, does this patient need to be taken to the hospital? And we're going to have that in another show nice. and talk a little bit about that process and how that works. Um, but I did want to ask that question. Now, I understand when you get in there, you also have weighted blankets. And, and we've talked about this before in other shows, but... Mm-hmm. What is it about a weighted blanket, something that's heavy, that lays on you, that makes you feel comfortable? I mean, I mean, yeah. like a dog likes its cage or its doghouse. We like heavy blankets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of patients find comfort in that. So helps with the anxiety, helps with sleep, and helps people get to sleep sometimes. Yeah, and I always like warmth. So if you give me one that's electric, <laughs> I might like that even better. I use my rice bag all the time too, just to keep me snuggled in my jammies. But what uh, kind of follow-up then happens when they're, when they're, when these patients are released? So we always make sure that we have what we call a safety plan. And a safety plan really is like a roadmap that helps people know what are the thoughts, what are the triggering thoughts when I know I need to get help? Who do I reach out to when I need help? And then what is my follow-up plan? Who do I go see? Where do I get my medications filled? And um, do I come back to the access center? Which that answer is yes. If you have any issues, concerns, follow up with your primary care provider, your therapist, and the access center is always there as well. Yeah, because you know, when you get out, you might be feeling really good. And then a couple of days down the road, you might be questioning yourself or your family members might be questioning you too, saying, you know, how you doing, Joe? And, oh, I'm fine. That's the actual typical answer that people give. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'll get through it. You know, I'm hanging in there. But in reality, you really don't know what's going on in someone's head. Absolutely. And when you leave the hospital, that's when the true work happens, continuing to take those medications and do those things that you learned to make yourself feel good and to go to the doctor and keep following up. So that's that's the hard work. And we've talked about coping skills and ways to switch and in your mind uh, in the past shows uh, how to how to switch that so that it kind of takes it takes it out of there. Um, now, you've been with the Reach for Co- Hope Coalition for quite a while. Tell us why you got involved with that. Yeah. So I really just want to be a part of the community and part of the positive messaging and the change. I'd, if we don't talk about these issues, if we don't bring them up, then nothing's going to change. So it's really important to me to be a part of that and able to just express that to people and to help people be a little vulnerable and ask those questions and ask those questions of each other, how we're doing. Yeah, and that's what we need to do is question mm-hmm. and persuade and refer. Right. And that's what we've used before in QPR. Uh, I also know that each person is given a Reach for Hope bag. It's a comfort bag that's that's handed out in the hospital. Tell us about those and, and what have patients said about those? Yeah, so we have the Reach for Hope bags um, for patients or families who have been impacted by suicide. And they really help in that time. They have blankets and some diversional activities and words of encouragement and they really just help know that you're not alone through that. Mm-hmm. And and what's in those? What's what's the I mean 
Yeah. I mean, uh, some people say there's color cranes in there and there's things in there that can actually keep them, yeah. uh, you know, keep their minds off of that. Right. Yeah. So there's activity books in there. There's crowns. There's um, a little books to read. There's also some letters from people in the community that have written to people for encouragement as well. That's awesome. Yeah. And also Reach for Hope Coalition offers gun safes for those who may qualify um, through the hospital. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, and we actually have gun locks at all of our Intermountain pharmacies and many community partners as well. So they're a great collaborative effort to get those out there. Yeah, and, and there's different qualifications for that. So obviously you're not going to just give those safes, which are three $400 safes, just mm -hmm. to anybody you would have to probably have had some issues in the past and a reason to even keep a gun right. if, if, if you've been admitted into a hospital for suicidal thoughts, right? Yeah. So those evaluations all go through our therapists who meet with the um, patients and discuss about what they have in their home and how they can protect themselves. Well, it's best to have them locked up. Absolutely. Versus finding out later that, you know, and I'm sure those are the questions that you ask when they first come in. Do you have access to a lethal weapon? Because that's the number one method for suicide is through a gun. Right. So you probably ask those questions when they first come in um, and they, and, and you know, you've kind of evaluated and know where they're, where they're headed with that. What about other objects or things that you do? Is there things you ask them when they come in? Yeah, we ask about their um, thoughts and what kind of things they've thought to harm themselves with and what their plan is. And that's what that safety plan is for. So we look at what are your individual triggers and then what are we going to do to mitigate those risks? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you already talked a little bit about why you got involved, but I want to talk a little bit about this, the, uh, the stigma that surrounds this. I mean, a lot of people aren't going to be wanting to walk through the door and say, hey, I got a problem. Right. Can you take care of me? Because, you know, I don't know why, it's, it, but, but it's been a stigma over the years that you're weak if you, if you have those thoughts or you're weak if you, if you try to go get help. Um, and that's not the case at all. Actually, you're the one that's strong because you're going and reaching out for right. that help. Yeah, absolutely. You said it really well earlier when you said, we're just so used to saying I'm fine because that's what we feel like everyone wants to hear. And Sometimes that's what you expect back when someone says, how are you? But to really genuinely care to ask, how are you doing? And then be able to respond with that. You're right that the people who get help are the strong ones because it's hard to say that you need help. And it's hard to be in that situation to put the effort in. And we've talked about this before, um, that it's just like having a broken leg or a broken arm. You go to the doctor, you get it fixed, you get a bandage on it, or you get a cast or whatever's happened. Mm -hmm. But with our mental health, we just look at it as, oh, well, it'll go away someday. Right. Or, or a lot of times people um, medicate them themselves with mm -hmm. alcohol or drugs just to make it a go away temporarily. But then those voices or those things come back into your head and go, you're not with it. This is go away. And it's really hard to get that out of there. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things do you say to patients then that might bring them up and say, it's okay. And, and, and how do you give them that reassurance that it's okay to feel that way? Yeah. It's all about connecting with people and just being genuine and letting people know that everyone struggles, that, that you're not alone in this, and that just because you're a patient right now doesn't mean that anyone on staff couldn't be where you're at. 
So it's about really just genuinely caring and having those conversations with people. Right. And obviously you do a good job of that because uh, you've probably had pretty good success with the number of people coming in there in the last three years. It, it has it, is it making a difference, do you believe? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We get patient stories and patient comments all the time um, about how we've impacted through that connection. And that's, that's really the heart of it is making sure that we're having that connection with people and that we're breaking that stigma, that we're not making people feel ashamed for being there. Have you seen reoccurring patients have they come back yeah yes that happens yeah. um yeah it absolutely happens right and and there's nothing wrong with that no, at all not at all now um people might not know the difference between empathy and sympathy so i want to play a video now by uh brene brown on empathy and show the difference between empathy and sympathy where when people are working through these situations let's take a look so what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. That's exactly what you were talking about is connection. And uh, that was for people who couldn't see that. It was a fox and it fell down in a hole kind of. And, you know, the other character was trying to come in and, and show empathy and support and saying, hey, I get you. Uh, I might know not exactly what you're going through, but but I can empathize with what you're feeling. Correct. Correct. And and sympathy is more like, oh, well, I'm, that's too bad. Mm -hmm. 
you know. Uh, so we need to think about those things when we're approaching people. Uh, what can friends, family, or even the community members do to become involved in these efforts to encourage people to reach out before it's too late? Yeah. Making those connections. It's, it's harder to have empathy than it is sympathy because, like she said, you're giving a little bit of yourself. But making those connections and having those conversations. So when someone says that they're down, getting a little bit more into that and asking the hard questions. It's not easy to ask, are you feeling like hurting yourself? But it's important to ask that question and then know the resources after you hear the answers to those questions. And it's best to know the resources now before you need them. It's great that we have Google, but it's great also to have those numbers and be able to say, I know where to refer you. I know what to do and I'm here for you. Right. And we've talked about having those numbers in your phone yep. so that you can connect with them right then and there and say, here it is. Here's the number to call. Right. And that's what we need to push out, um, refer them to that. So yeah. um, anything else that you'd like to share with our audience in regards to how your Access Center works? Mm -hmm how they should reach out and feel comfortable reaching out. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate. If you feel like you're in danger, come into the hospital. If you feel um, like you need to be evaluated, you can come into the Access Center and we can help you from there. We truly do care about you and there's people in your life that care about you. So it's important to reach out for that help. Right. And that's exactly what Reach for Hope is all about. Um, reach for Hope is to reach out and help uh, our community members, our people, and like you said, have a little bit of empathy and, and to take the time mm -hmm. to ask the tough questions. And those questions are what? Have you had thoughts of harming yourself? Have you, where, what are you thinking about right now? And you mentioned earlier a plan. Mm -hmm. So that makes me think that suicide is not just a quick thought, unrational thought that's just coming and fleeting. This person might be have thought about it for quite a while. Uh, what can you do to convince someone that that's not the right route? Right. Having that connection and having that empathy and explaining how much you care and how much they matter. And that's tough when people are feeling maybe financially upset or right. upset about something that happened, but they should know that tomorrow's another day. It is. It is. And there's always time. There is. There's, there's time is. to reach out and do something else mm -hmm. uh, different. Right. They just need that little boost up to do that. Right. So Absolutely. Um, anything you'd like to share um, as far as phone numbers, we have a yes. phone number here for the Access Center we'd like to share mm -hmm. for additional information. Yeah. Uh, we can put that up on the screen again. Um, people can call this number. Yeah. They can show up at your doorstep. Tell us a little bit about what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. So that number is right on the screen, 435-251-4480. That'll get you right to the Access Center. Um, and we can put you in contact with crisis lines. Um, we can explain to how to get to us anytime that you need any assistance. We'll yeah. be there. Yeah, and we, we are there. We are there for people in the community um, night and day. And I think that's what friends, family um, the Reach for Hope Coalition, Prevention Coalition is all about asking those tough questions, making sure that people know that we're there for them and we're there to help. I mean, night or day, even in the middle of the night, right. you know, if you're having problems, call someone, yeah. reach out. And then there's always the hotlines and stuff that we'll get to, too. So, Heather, I'd just like to say thank you for all you've done and, and for all you're doing and for making a difference in our community. Thank you. It's really my pleasure. And it's been my pleasure being here. Yeah, Thank it's you. it's really something um, we need to all remember and 
and that we can all help. And if you'd like to volunteer or if you'd like to help, do you take volunteers at the hospital for that? Probably not, not. Not in our behavioral health center, no. Right, but they can help in other ways. Oh, absolutely. Most you can do is talk to people and be that be that empathetic connection. Mm-hmm. And take the time. Yes. Take the time to ask. Right. Take the time to care. Yes. And have that empathy. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to just say one more thing that we do have a mission statement um, for Reach for Hope. And as our mission statement says, Reach for Hope is a caring community that reaches out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. So uh, just remember, we need to engage in our community partners and identify and reduce the risk factors in order to raise awareness and implement research-based strategies and all of the things that we do are are based on research. So I'd like to thank you for joining us and thank all of you for joining us and just let let you know that if, if you or someone you know uh, needs help or just needs to talk to someone to reach out, don't wait because there's always hope, there's always tomorrow, and there's always empathy and connection. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. So thank you. thank you all for joining us and we hope that you'll join us in future episodes of the Reach for Hope uh, Suicide Prevention Coalition. Uh, if you'd like to get involved, just to go to our website at reachforhopeutah.org um, and you can always uh, get on there, find out more information. We have an Instagram, we have a Facebook and just want to say thanks and reach out and help someone. You never know when you're going to be making a difference in someone's life. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for watching. Have a great day. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.